Thanks for tuning into our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Anna Townsend, the preschool pastor here at Rolling Hills Community Church. We are so glad that you've joined us today as we continue in our Advent series. In today's sermon, Pastor Jason Hale will be teaching from Luke 1, 26-38, focusing on the theme of peace and how regardless of what's going on in the world around us, true peace is found in Jesus alone. Now here's Jason. Well, some of my favorite stories in life are those stories where people defy all odds to accomplish something great. And maybe you have one of those stories that's in mind right now. I want to share a few of them with you. Did you know that Albert Einstein's teachers thought he was lazy and that he wouldn't make much of himself? One of his teachers was actually noted as saying, his head is always in the clouds conjuring up abstract questions that people cannot understand. Well, Albert Einstein went on to develop the theory of relativity, which consequently is an abstract principle that I do not understand. Did you know that Stephen King's first book was rejected so many times that he threw it in the trash and his wife ultimately digs the manuscript out of the trash and says, you need to complete this and send it to one more publisher? Well, hundreds of millions of copies of books sold later, he's one of the most prolific authors of the century. Did you know that Thomas Edison failed in creating the light bulb thousands of times before actually finding the solution? He is famously quoted as saying, quote, I've not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that didn't work. And then probably one of the most well-known overcomers, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan indeed did not make the varsity basketball team as a sophomore in high school, but only made the JV team. But That ended up working out okay for him in the long run, it seems. I love these stories, and I love these stories because they are so inspiring. But what is equally inspiring to me are some of the stories that are present in this room right now. And I would venture to say that some of the stories that are in this room right now are even more significant than some of the more well-known stories of people who have overcome obstacles or who have overcome certain things in their life. Why are these stories so much more significant. Why are these stories so special? Because some of the stories that are present in this room have at the center of them God who accomplishes immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. God who works in ways that cannot be described by human effort or human intuition. Some of you in the room were told by a doctor at one point in time that you couldn't have children and you have them. Some of you were given a diagnosis or you were experiencing an illness or had an accident or something in the case that whatever the case might have been and you were told by someone that there was no cure or that you weren't going to walk again or that you were going to um, never get over this and you're here this morning because you've experienced that healing. Some of you were told by a parent that you were never going to amount to anything. Or maybe a grandparent told you, you are never going to be anything, and you're here this morning as someone who is accomplishing great things for the kingdom. Some of you have serious doubts that God could have ever used you, and you opened yourself up to him, and he has now used you in a really significant way to accomplish his significant work. Some of you have struggled to trust God in one area of your life, but you've leaned in to that faith journey, and God has worked and shown himself so faithful to you. And what I love about all of those stories specifically is at the center of them is God. God showing up and God showing out and God reminding us that he has a plan, that he is in control, that he is good, and that he is working in ways that we may not even be able to describe from a mere human perspective. Enter Christmas. Enter 
the Christmas story, enter this season that we are in. And this is why I love Christmas so much. I love everything about this season. I love the lights. I love the presents. I love the decorations. I love the peanut butter cookies with the little Hershey kiss that are mashed in there while they're still hot and the, her- and the cookie forms around the Hershey kiss. Y'all are shaking your heads. You know what cookie I'm talking about. I mean, that, that screams Christmas to me. Christmas has arrived when I have seen one of those little peanut butter cookies arrive in a little tin. I love this season, but what I love about this season more than anything is that this is a season that we are reminded just how much God showed up. Just how much God showed up. Because Christmas is all about God showing up in a big way. Why? Because you and I couldn't make ourselves right. God made us right, and he did that by sending Jesus We cannot find rich, abundant life in our own power, but God sent Jesus so that we could have rich, abundant life. We can't save ourselves. God sent Jesus to do what we could never do, and he did so in a way to remind us that this was all about him and that he is the one who gives us peace, which we're going to talk about today. He is the one that encourages us in how we are to live, and I'm so grateful that each and every one of you are here today. And I hope and pray that in our time together today that God would give you a glimpse of what it is that he wants to do in your life this season. And perhaps, just perhaps, there's somebody here again who needs to be reminded of his peace and that this story would remind you that you're not walking alone. And so let's pray and set our sights on Jesus today and ask him to do what only he can do in this place. Lord, thank you for meeting us here. We're grateful for who you are. We thank you for your peace. We thank you for your comfort. We thank you for your provision. And it's in the powerful name of Christ that we pray and ask all these things today. Amen and amen. All you have to do is a quick Google search. And a quick Google search is going to open up numerous illustrations for you of people who have defied the odds and who have overcome really significant things. When something seemed impossible, the impossibilities were set aside and something really significant happened. I'm not sure that there is a moment that that is more clearly at play than our text today where we're going to see something that is so humanly impossible, but God defies all of the impossibilities and works in a way that only he can. So let's look at the text today in Luke chapter 1. If you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to open to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Those words will be up here on the screen for you as well. Maybe you have a mobile device that you want to hop online and follow along with us. But I want to read all of these verses so you can kind of hear the whole narrative. And then we're going to go back and pick apart a few of these verses, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never come to an end. Well, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Well, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Well, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. So a little bit of backstory for you. This is actually the second time that the angel Gabriel, in about a six-month period of time, has appeared to characters to remind them that they are going to have a child. 
Pastor Jeff talked about it last week, but the first uh, recorded one that we have here in the beginning of Luke 1 is with Zechariah. And the angel Gabriel comes to Zechariah. Zechariah is a priest. He's in the temple waiting to receive a word from the Lord. And the angel Gabriel comes to him and says, your wife Elizabeth is going to have a child. And that child is going to be named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is going to prepare the way for Jesus. Ultimately, he's going to be the one who paves the way for Jesus. Now, what seems impossible about that? Elizabeth was beyond childbearing age. She and uh, Zechariah were up in years. And so this is a great reminder that God works in the impossibilities. And now the angel Gabriel has come to the Virgin Mary and told Mary that you are going to conceive. It's the same type of proclamation, but it's a very different type of setting because you have Zechariah, who's a priest, who's in the temple waiting on a word from the Lord. And then you have Mary, who most biblical scholars would say was probably a 13-year-old girl who is from the town of Galilee, from Nazareth, who is no, has no you know, kind of earthly distinction, so to speak. She's a virgin. And the angel Gabriel comes to her and says, you're going to have a child. And nobody, I repeat, nobody was expecting the Savior to come from Galilee. Nobody was expecting the Savior to come from Nazareth. This was not a place of distinction. It's like Beverly Hills versus Eastern Kentucky. I can say that because I'm from Eastern Kentucky. You can't say that. I can. There's one person in the room who gave me a hand back there. There's somebody else in the room that can say that. I love Eastern Kentucky. There is nothing wrong with Eastern Kentucky. I think it's one of the most beautiful parts of the entire world. But most of all of us are not looking at Eastern Kentucky waiting on somebody of great distinction to come out of there. I'm a little bit offended by that. But that's, nonetheless, you get the picture People are expecting the Savior of the world to come from somewhere that's not Galilee, that's not from Nazareth. But what's really interesting about this proclamation is that the Virgin Mary was told she was going to have a baby, and she was pledged to be married to Joseph, and they were engaged, and they were in a formal engagement period, and a Jewish engagement period would have been probably at least a year long. And she's in this season of waiting, and God speaks to her. Have you noticed in your life, this is a sidebar, but have you noticed in your life that God often speaks to you in a season of waiting? When you're kind of in between answers? is often when God comes and speaks to you and reminds you that he is there with you. It's exactly what happens here with Mary. But I don't want you to let the impossibilities of this situation be lost. Some of you have been raised in church. You were in church nine months before you were born, and you've heard this story so many times. And maybe the amazing truth in this story is a little bit lost on you because you're so familiar with it. But hear this. Mary had not slept with anyone. She wasn't already pregnant. God wanted the whole world to know that the conception of Jesus was not because of a mere mortal man. Don't lose sight of that in your Christmas celebration, that at the center is God. God's sending Jesus down to a broken world. It's why I love the title of this series, Love Came Down. It's why I love the song that the worship arts team has released, Love Came Down. Love came down to a broken world. And the way he chose to come into this world through a young virgin girl of absolutely no worldly distinction, it had never happened this way before, and it has not happened since. So don't lose the beauty of this story. Go to verse 28. 
So the angel went to her, to Mary, and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And you see that word there, favored. Greetings, you who are highly favored. This is a really interesting Greek word. You're only going to find this word one other time in the New Testament. The way that it is right here, translated here, only occurs one other time in the New Testament, and that occurs in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. Go with me to Ephesians 1. Let's read verses 3 through 6. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. And in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. And you're going to see the word here in verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace, highlight the word grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. And some of you all are like, I'm looking for the word favored. Where is it in there? Favored and grace is the exact same Greek word. The way that it's translated here in Luke 1.28 and Ephesians 1.6 is the same word. What's going on here in Ephesians? In Ephesians, you and I are being reminded that we can be adopted as sons and daughters into God's family. And how can we be adopted into God's family? We can be adopted into God's family by verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Who is the one that God loves? It's Jesus. And God lavished his love upon us. He showed us grace through Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus and to us today, it is by grace that you are saved. It is grace that you are made whole. Go back to Luke 128. God is saying through the angel Gabriel, you are highly favored. I am showing you so much grace, Mary. Mary's state is a state of grace. Mary wasn't chosen for this role because she was anybody significant. God was using Mary because he wanted to remind her of just how gracious he was and how much grace he had. God didn't send Jesus to you and I because we were rich or because we were significant in our own right. No, God sent Jesus to us. Why? Because of grace. Mary didn't deserve this honor. We don't deserve God's grace either. It's all about God's grace. And upon receiving this mind-blowing news, upon receiving this news that God is favoring you, God is showing his grace to you, the angel says to Mary, the Lord is with you. You're highly favored and the Lord is with you. And you see this here at your first point today. In the middle of all of your unknowns, God makes himself known. Praise God for this. In the middle of your unknowns, God makes himself known. In the middle of this very unknown season that Mary is entering, the angel Gabriel reminds her, the Lord is with you. God is with you right now. In the middle of the chaos, in the middle of the confusion, God is right there with you. I don't know what you're walking through today, but you need to be reminded the Lord is with you. And the Lord is showing you his grace He's trying to remind you that he has got this, that he has a plan, and that ultimately he can be trusted. Now, a few minutes ago, you guys met my sweet Evie June, and I love this little girl. And we were thinking about this, this past couple of years, we've seen some, some pretty good things happen in her life, some, things that, some, some fears that she has overcome. And one of those, two years ago, she had this kind of fear of water. And she, didn't, she liked to go to the pool, but she really wanted to kind of hang out on the side and not really venture that far out. Well, this summer, she just decided that she wanted to learn how to swim. And so all of a sudden, she's just swimming around the pool. And some of you have firstborn daughters, and you've told me that's a thing. They do what they want to do, when they want to do it, 
regardless if it's on your timeline, right? And so it's like this summer, she's just like, I think I'm going to learn how to swim. And she learned how to swim. But Jacqueline and I were comparing that to two summers ago. And two summers ago, she was kind of just hanging around the edge. And we had this kind of classic dad-child moment. And some of you dads or moms in the room can probably relate to this. That moment where you're standing in the water and you're trying to get them to jump in. And you're trying to coax them into the water. And I guys want you to picture this. I mean, I'm standing in three feet of water. And I'm over six feet tall. So this is a very safe situation at this moment in time. And she's standing on the side. And I'm trying to get her to jump in, jump in. And what is she saying to me? Will you catch me? Will you catch me? And I'm sitting here looking around thinking, I'm actually kind of offended by this. I mean, I am fully, this is my moment. I mean, over half of my body is fully exposed here. So, I mean, I'm like, I can catch you. Like, come on, come on. But what is she doing? She's looking at all of the unknowns. And she's looking right past the dad, standing in the water, saying, jump in. I have got you. I promise, even if I get the most massive leg cramp, we're not going down. This is a safe situation. But how often do we do this? How often do we forget that in the middle of all of our unknowns, God is squarely in the middle of it saying, I'm with you, 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 I'm with you. You don't have to fear, you don't have to worry. I am here with you. It's so easy for us to forget that. But God was making himself known in this situation, and he desires to make himself known in our situation. Now, just because God makes himself known, though, and just because we know he is there, does that mean that all of our fear goes by the wayside? No. Does that mean that all of the fear just kind of gets set to see? Not at all. Look at what happens in Mary's response. Verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words, rightly so. And she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. It's so easy in my human spirit to be overwhelmed. Maybe you're the same. Because see, when God speaks and when God calls us to do work for him, it's really overwhelming. In fact, I get really suspicious of people who say they never fear anything. I get really suspicious of the people who said, I've never had any fear. I have zero fear in my life anymore. I am completely void of fear. Well, God bless you for figuring out how to find some superhuman strength that the rest of us have not been able to find. But Mary was troubled in her heart, but with full knowledge of what was troubling her. What does the angel of the Lord say to her? Do not fear. Do not fear. And you see this there in your notes. My flesh likely says fear, but God always says do not fear. My flesh likely says fear, but God always says do not fear. What are you scared about today? What are you afraid of today? What are you nervous about today? What are you anxious about today? Probably the four questions that you have asked yourself more in 2020 than any other questions. What am I afraid of today? What am I scared of today? What am I anxious about today? What am I nervous about today? And whatever answers you have conjured up in your mind right now, whatever answers you have, I want you to know that the root of all of those answers are your flesh speaking. The root of every answer that you have right now, it is your flesh speaking, but it's also normal. I'm not telling you to have a goal of zero fear. What I'm encouraging you to do is as a growing disciple to realize that when I listen to the voice of God, I do not have to allow the voices of fear to dictate my actions. 
But when I listen to the voice of God, that, that voice is always louder in my mind, and it should take up more of my mind and more of my heart, and my own personal fears and my own personal agenda hopefully gets pushed aside a little bit more because I can trust Him more and more. Now, why did Mary not have to be held captive by fear? Well, first of all, she had found favor with God. God was showing her his immense grace. But keep going to verse 33, 31 through 33. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus, and he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. The angel is saying, you don't have to fear Mary because the child that you are going to conceive, the child that you're going to carry, the child that is going to be born to you, his birth is going to take away all of your fear. His birth is going to take away all of your fear. My wife and I have had two children, and that process is fear-inducing. Watching these babies come into the world, it can be a fear-inducing process. But yet, this is the moment where the angel says, don't have any fear. Why? Because he's going to be great. He's the one that's prophesied about from the start till the finish. He's going to reign forever, and there will be no end to his kingdom. So what does all of that mean? This is the angel telling Mary. This is the angel telling all of the people in the first century. This is the angel telling us today, everyone that's ever going to walk on the face of this earth, that you can have salvation and you can have peace because of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mary was carrying the very baby that would bring peace. She was carrying the very baby that would bring her own peace. So I'm not going to tell you as your pastor and as your friend to have absolutely no fear, but what I am going to tell you is that in the presence of Jesus, fear doesn't have to define you. In the presence of Jesus, anxiety doesn't have to be your story. In the presence of Jesus, you can have peace and calm and comfort. And if that's what you want, if that's what you desire, if you desire peace in the midst of chaos, if you desire peace in the midst of some of the misunderstandings or peace in the midst of what's happening in the world right now, if that is what you desire, then let's keep going because you're going to see something about Mary's response that is so amazing. And it's so indicative of how you and I can live if we want to live with a life of peace. If this is what I desire, then look at Mary's response, verse 34. After hearing all of this, Mary says, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin, how will this be? Have you noticed the way that you respond to a question is usually a pretty good indicator of what's going on in your heart? Luke 6.45 gives us the same truth. If you go forward five chapters, Luke 6.45, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. That my mouth speaks from whatever is in my heart. Whatever I say tends to be a pretty good indicator of what's going on inside. And you catch an amazing glimpse here of Mary's character as a young girl. When she receives this proclamation, her response is, how will this be? Now, some of you have a person on your team, and I like to call these the why people. Some of y'all have people on your meetings and teams, Zoom meetings, in-person meetings, and I call them the why people. You're up there presenting an idea, and you get finished, and there's always a guy over here in the corner, and he always says the same thing. I call him the why guy. He says, well, I'm not sure why, dot, dot, dot. Fill in the blank, and you're like, thank you, why guy, you're always here, you always push back, you always have questions. And then in the other corner, there's the person who likes to be 
the devil's advocate. Have you ever noticed in a meeting there's always somebody playing the devil's advocate? And they usually voice that as, I'm going to be the devil's advocate. Again, a sidebar, the devil is prowling around like a lion to see who he can destroy, so you don't need to advocate for his point of view. So I'm just saying, if you wanted to take that out of your vocabulary, that'd probably be okay. Another sermon for another day. I mean, he doesn't need you to speak to his point of view. He doesn't need you to give him more credence. But at the heart of the person who's being the devil's advocate, what are they saying? They're saying, well, why don't we think about dot, dot, dot? Or I don't know why, or why don't we think about this? Mary has received this affirmation of how God wants to use her. This is mind-blowing. This is (laughs) mind-numbing. And this is humanly impossible. And how does she respond? She responds by saying, how will this be? Okay, God, how are you going to do it? She doesn't say, God, why me? She doesn't say, God, are you sure? You're not calling somebody else to do this? She doesn't say, God, I'm not qualified. Why would you ask an unqualified person like me? She doesn't say, God, you don't know all the things that I have done. Surely there's got to be somebody that's not from Galilee that's of a more distinct background than I am. Couldn't you pick somebody else? No, Mary says, I'm a virgin. And I'm from a very normal class of people. And God reminds her that he's going to use her. And her response is, how? How are you going to do it then? And you see this here on your notes, but when God speaks, do you start from a place of how or a place of why? When God speaks, do you start from a place of how or a place of why? One of my favorite stories in Scripture, and I preached on this uh, several weeks ago, it's from Acts chapter 16, and it's when Paul and his companions are in prison. It's an amazing passage of Scripture, and they have been imprisoned because they're sharing the message of the gospel. They're proclaiming the gospel, and the gospel is spreading throughout the first century world, and the, the, the government of the day, they don't like that, and so they put Paul and his companions in prison, and they have shackled them in chains in this dungeon, and you may remember the story. It's in Acts chapter 16, and around the stroke of midnight, Paul and his companions start singing hymns and spiritual songs back to God. And God shows up in a powerful way in that prison. The walls of the prison fall, and all of the shackles and chains that are holding the prisoners captive break free. So here's Paul and all of his buddies just free to go, free to roam, free to escape the prison if they want to. And there's a prison guard who sees what's happening, and he thinks to himself, "Uh uh-oh, uh-oh. The captain of the guard is going to think that I let them all go, and so I'm clearly going to be executed, so I'm just going to go ahead and take matters into my own hand and fall on my own sword and take my own life. But before he does that, Paul and and his companions, they see what's getting ready to happen, and they yell to him, and they say, please don't take your own life. We're all here. We've counted. All of us are here. We're all free to go, but we are all staying right here because, see, Paul and his traveling buddies, they cared so much about this guy's eternal destination more than they did being free, even though they were held captive for doing the right thing. And they say, we're all here. Come and count us. And the prison guard walks in, and this is recorded in Acts chapter 16. He looks at Paul, and he says, what must I do to be saved? How can I be a part of this story? Did you notice that the prison guard doesn't say, hmm, tell me why I should consider following this Jesus 
that you're singing about. I know he just broke all the chains. I know that you're telling me that he came through a virgin, but hmm, why should I believe all that? No, he said, when I saw those chains break free and I knew that I wasn't the one to let you out of here, my response is, what must I do to be a part of that story? And I think the same invitation is here for you and I today. When we are confronted with the person of Jesus Christ, how do we respond? Do we say, why should I believe that? Or do we say, how do I take that step of faith? How do I take that step of faith that God is asking me to take right now? And if you want to know more about taking that next step of faith, maybe that step of faith for you is accepting Jesus and saying, I want to believe in him and I want to allow him and invite him to be Lord of my life. Or maybe that step of faith is to be baptized, to say, I want to publicly profess and I want to publicly proclaim that I belong to Jesus Christ, that I don't belong to myself anymore. If that's where you are this morning, I want you to make a note on that connection card. You have a connection card that's there, and I want you to just make a note. And I want you to say, you know what? I want to talk to somebody about how to take this next step of faith. And we will reach out to you this week to talk to you about that next step. And when the offering baskets come by your seat in a little bit, just drop that card in there and rest assured that we will follow up with you. But maybe it's not that. Maybe it's not that step of faith, but maybe there's another trial that you're going through. Or maybe there's some unknown season of your life that you're entering and you're asking God a lot of why questions. And maybe what God is wanting to hear is some how questions. Which of these questions is more reflective of where your heart is today? Is it question number one, how are you going to use the global pandemic for your glory? Or are you over here in this category, God, why are we going through all this? These are two very different questions. How are you going to use this, God? It's a very different question from why are we going through this? Maybe you're going through a struggle in your life right now. Maybe it's a diagnosis. Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's some news. Maybe it's uh, an, an um, uh, a employment that has just ended for you. Are you over here in this camp of saying, God, how are you going to use dot, dot, dot? Or are you in this camp over here saying, God, why did this happen to me? Maybe you're over here saying, God, how can you use me at this season of my life? Opposed to, God, why am I not at another season of my life? I believe if we could make it more of a habit to start from a posture of expectancy for how God can work, opposed to why, God, are we not at that place, I believe that we'll be blown away at what he could do through us if we would just make ourselves available and ask some more how questions. Now look at the angel's response to Mary's how questions. She says, how is this going to be? Verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. So when Mary asked the question, the Holy Spirit, or the angel reminds her that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and that the power of God will overshadow you. She's even reminded of what's happening with Elizabeth. Elizabeth, who was not able to conceive, is now pregnant. That seemed an impossibility for her. Just like you see this as an impossible situation, hear God and hear what he's desiring to do. But most importantly, what the angel says is, I want you to hear this, Mary. No word from God will ever fail. And that is incredible truth for you and I today. And you see it here on your notes. Nothing will ever be impossible with God. 
Nothing will ever be impossible with God. I'm not sure this morning what impossible brick wall that you might be staring at, but all of the truth that is in this Bible from start to finish, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, it is truth that you can build your life upon. It is truth that you can center your life around. In fact, if God says it, he will do it. If there's a promise here from God, that is a promise that you can build your life upon. And look at how Mary responds in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Mary says, I'm the Lord's servant. So may all of this be fulfilled. What I tend to do is I tend to ask for a lot more clarification than Mary did. And I think if I'm in Mary's situation, I'm going to need a whole lot more clarification than the angel of the Lord gave her. Sometimes when God is speaking to us and when God is making himself known, or maybe it's just a promise that he has made so clear in Scripture, we tend to say things like, yeah, God, I see that, but... Yeah, God, I see what you're saying, but... Yeah, I get it, God, but fill in the blank. And when we're in that frame of mind, I believe that we're likely going to miss some of the peace that's right there in the front of us to latch on to. So how could Mary have peace on all of this? How could Mary say in verse 38, I'm the Lord's servant, may your word be fulfilled. How can I have that peace? Well, to start, I've got to understand where peace comes from. And I've got to understand what peace really is. And peace comes in knowing Jesus. And I've grappled this week with coming up with the definition of peace because Mary had it. And I want it, and I hope and pray that you want it as well. And this is the best attempt that I have at a definition of peace. Peace is the result of faith in God being greater than my circumstances. I think that true peace in life is a result of faith in God being greater than my circumstances. If I want peace, then my faith in God has got to be at a higher level than my view of my circumstances is. And when I can live this way, peace will win out every time. Regardless of the situation that you're in, you can find peace. I don't think there's a situation that any person in this room is going through. There's not a situation that anybody that you know is going through that peace is not available in Jesus Christ. And through a relationship with Jesus Christ, I believe that peace can happen in every situation. And when that is our norm, when that is what we are striving for, I begin to believe that amazing things are going to happen. We love those impossible stories. We love those stories where overwhelmingly positive things happen or where God shows up in a way that only can be described by him. And this is one of those moments where God sent his son Jesus to bring peace to a broken world, to bring peace to a broken person like me, and to bring peace to a broken person like you. There's never been anything more significant that has happened in this world. So lean into that peace today. Lean into the knowledge of Jesus Christ and pray that he would give you peace in whatever storm it is that you're walking through this morning. Lord, thank you for meeting us here today. I'm so thankful for your peace. I'm so thankful for your provision. I'm so thankful that you care for us, Lord, that you provide for us in ways that um, are not um, even able to be described by human effort or by human hands. And I thank you, Lord, that in this room today, there are 
people who need peace. And perhaps some of us have been looking for it in the wrong places, so I pray that today we would find it in you. And that our faith in you would be so much greater than our circumstances. And that we would be able to trust you when things seem humanly impossible. That we'd be able to lean into you when all of the voices of this world are telling us to trust ourselves or to trust something else more than we trust you, Jesus. And so I pray, God, that in this place there would be freedom today and that there would be joy. And ultimately that there would be a sense of your peace. I pray for the person in the room today, God, that needs to take a step of faith in you, that there would be in this room a lot of how questions that would surface and a lot of questions that sound like, God, what do you want me to do? What do you desire to do, Lord? I want to make myself available for you. I thank you, Lord, for meeting us in this place. I pray that we would find great joy in you and ultimately that we would realize you are our Prince of Peace. Thank you, God, for doing what? We couldn't do ourselves. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit us on the website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways that you can connect. We are thankful for you.